All right, you're back in the DFSR. It's an NFL podcast. It's Wednesday. It's November 21st. I'm Doug Norrie. That is James Davis. Oh, dailyfantasysportsrankings.com is the site. DFSR.com for short. Spend Thanksgiving with us by signing up for a free three-day, excuse me, seven-day trial of our projection system. Powered by our good friends over at Lineup Lab. Optimal lineups for FanDuel and DraftKings. NFL, NBA is covered there as well. You know the drill if you've been listening to the podcast. Go sign up. DFSR.com slash deals. We'll get you started. I think you'll be around with us for the long haul. You get to spend a holiday with us if you sign up tomorrow. You get um, to spend every holiday with us, incidentally. Hell yeah, dude. There's someone there every single day, no matter what. Oh, I'll be there Thursday morning just uh, when the rest of the family is kind of trickling in or people are cooking food or doing whatever. I'll be grinding on projections for the Thursday slate of Thanksgiving. I, I don't know. That doesn't feel like a work day to me because I get so excited because I love Thanksgiving so much. I think it's like just a holiday to end all holidays. So I don't even get... I don't even care too much that I have looking at uh, football projections. And we're going to talk about some of these games for the Thanksgiving slate. We'll be back again Friday talking more about the uh, main slate of games where we roll through game by game action. Um, what do you, you know, looking at this three game slate, sometimes you get hammered into some bad teams just because, you know, three games is, is tough, except these ones have so much uh, just hype around them just because of the holiday. But when you look at this slate from a DFS perspective, is it something you can get behind in terms of putting in lineups, or do you feel like? Do you feel like the plays are too concentrated and it's just kind of one that you might just enjoy the games instead? No, I think it's actually a pretty good slate. As we were writing up the cash game article today, I just saw a lot of value plays. And there's just, like, it's actually, you know, normally they try to guess really early on who the good teams will be, I would guess, for these primetime slates and, you know, kind of pray for the best. Sometimes they hit it, sometimes they don't. And, of course, with Thursday, or Thanksgiving, rather, they have some teams, you know, Detroit and Dallas that are kind of penciled into playing. But, yeah, I mean... The New Orleans Atlanta game, big game, a lot of great fantasy players, 60 point total, uh, you know, some value on the Bears. Washington, Dallas has at least got Zeke. Like, there's stuff going on here. So, I think we, and then some value receivers too across a couple different teams. So, yeah, I think we can make a full full day of it. Uh, Bears going to play Detroit on the first game of the, of the afternoon. Obviously, Detroit's always hosting that 12 30 game on Thanksgiving. And we have had a lot of years of Detroit not being a very good team. This is probably one of the, not, it's not even probably, this is definitely one of those yeah. years as well. Bears are a four point favorite on the road. The injury news here, obviously, Karrion Johnson sprained his knee. He is not going to play. They are, uh, they were, he was starting to look like a real good running back uh, over the last couple of weeks out snapping blunt thankfully over the short term by a lot they are without him now is there value in the rest of the Detroit running back situation I guess they're going to bring Zach Zenner up they had they had activated Amir Abdullah at some point they still have blunt and they have Theo Riddick who's essentially a wide receiver though but what's your take on the Detroit running back situation is there anything even for us here even with opening up Johnson or is the Bears matchup just I mean it's, we cannot. We don't have to play running backs, even if they're cheap, from a team if we feel like they're going to get stomped. Yeah, I, pr- I think this is probably not where you're going to ultimately land. Um, I do think there's some value in just playing Theo Riddick as a cheap wide receiver who catches balls out of the backfield, basically, uh, especially on DraftKings, where the five to seven receptions, if you're starting with that, are going to be a, a pretty good running start to paying value. I think outside of that, unless we get some like really definitive news that one of these guys is going to be the every down back. It's just not that great of a spot. I mean, I think I'm probably higher on LeGarrette Blunt than you are. Uh, he's essentially free on FanDuel. I haven't really looked to see what that will enable just yet. Like, if that enables me to play great plays at every other position, I might just bite the bullet. Um, I think running back, nah, it's not the thinnest position on the slate, but it's it's a position that puts you in sort of a bind because it asks you to either pay absolute top dollar or to play someone completely speculative. So I think right. uh, we'll have to wait 
and see. But I think ultimately now I'm probably gonna not like if I Riddick or bust would probably be my you know gut check thing here on Wednesday. Yeah, I th- I'm like that. I'm, I'm with you too. I think they'll be playing from behind. Uh, Heath was third in the team in targets last week after uh, Galladay and then Bruce Ellington, um, who was filling mm-hmm. in for Marvin Jones. I guess if we're not looking at the running back situation, we think they're going to be playing from behind, though. Galladay is a wide receiver one to you. Is this even? It doesn't look like Marvin Jones is going to play. I kind of thought he was going to because he was ruled out really late uh, going into week 11. But it, uh, the early news is that he was not a non-participant in, in uh, Monday's practice and that he's on the injury report. Let's assume he doesn't play. Is Galladay still a wide receiver one? It's, a, it's still not a good matchup here with the Bears in general just because of the defensive thing, but is – or guys like him or Ellington, can you get anything into the passing game? Yeah, I think Galladay will be a cash game lock for most people. I mean, regardless of Marvin Jones Jr.'s status, Galladay now 13 and 14 targets in each of the last two weeks. Uh, got in the end zone in both of those games. 7,200 is probably still a little bit cheap for – what he brings to the table right now it's a tough matchup but Detroit is still going to have offensive possessions and they're going to have to try to do something so uh, you're definitely a little bit concerned with that offensive line like we saw that you know sometimes Stafford can just get wrapped up like a pretzel and that really takes away value from the wide receivers but even then I think Holiday is not the first guy on the chopping block in a scenario like that I think it's probably Jones Jr. so uh, or just whoever else is is really lining up in the outside for the deep ball so yeah I think you'll play Galladay pretty much regardless of what else is going on uh ellington i think he's a pretty interesting play uh at 5,000 on fanduel too nine targets looks semi-legit if jones jr is out again so gonna definitely be keeping an eye on that um yeah i'm with the bears defense again they're number one overall dvoa through 11 first 11 weeks number three against the pass one against the rush uh, it's just it's just not a good situation but again you're with only three with only six teams left to choose from yeah you have to try to pick your value spots where you can get them on the bear side i know you wrote up trubisky is he on a, on a slate that has Matt Ryan and Drew Brees? And I mean, those those two guys, and I'm not going to include the other game really yeah. as much. Um, is he cheap enough to consider cash game wise the way he scores points? Because we're looking at a really high total in the other game, but I know you did right after Miski. I did. I think, and you know, we'll talk about that other game when we get to it, but we say this probably every week. So maybe this is just a good principle rather than a thing to keep repeating. But the savings really matter on a three game slate. And if you can go down from 9,000 to 7,900, all of a sudden, that 1100 might be the difference between having to play one of these pure speculation running backs or one of the, the big studs. And I think that uh, Trubisky kind of enables that. So the, just to paint the full picture of Trubisky, yes, he is dealing with this right shoulder issue right now. So, you know, there's if you hear that he's less than 100%, that obviously takes some of the luster off this. But the man's just put up some pretty damn good fantasy games. Um, six of his last seven games, he's top 17 fantasy points. In three of those games, he had more than 33 fantasy points. And if you want to, you know, just pick and choose your endpoints, I guess, uh, in this four-game winning streak, he also has a 65% completion rate during that time. In his last six games, he's got, what is this? Yeah, four games with six carries, a couple rushing touchdowns. I think he just brings a pretty good package to the table. And in addition to that, on a day where there's actually a couple really good matchups for opposing passers, he has the best one, Detroit this year worst in the league in terms of yards per attempt allowed to opposing quarterbacks so I think you take all that together I think you can probably stomach it um if I see like Drew Brees in my second overall lineup uh it'll be hard not to lean in that direction but I think Drew Risky is definitely playable here yeah I'm with you the running back situation for them is weird like they're a favorite on the road here Jordan Howard carry he can carry the ball 18 times a game the guy doesn't go anywhere with him he's averaging something like three less than three yards a carry this season never catches the ball out of the backfield 
Uh, Tara Cohen does catch a lot of the balls, doesn't get enough rushes. It's just not a situation. GBP for sure, and you're hoping Howard, you're hoping for touchdowns out of either one of them. You're hoping Howard just gets over 20 carries and gets in the end zone. They're, it's a good defense to do it against. Um, you just really can't, from a cash game perspective, very t- tough to trust the other players in this Chicago offense. I'm including the wide receiver core as well. Tabor Gabriel will catch some balls. He's another one, doesn't go anywhere with them. Uh, like he just averages very, very few yards per reception. Um, and just the nature of their offense. Trubisky, really the only guy with legit, legit huge upside, I think. Uh, the rest of them can kind of get there and are all probably just a little too expensive because their situation just hasn't really changed over the course of the season. The 430 game, Washington goes in and plays Dallas. Obviously, Washington is going to be with Colt McCoy here. Alex Smith, brutal leg break in uh, last game against the Texans. He's going to be out for the rest of the season for sure, and we'll see if he really ever comes back. Um, Colt McCoy did take over. Didn't look horrible, I guess. They're seven point, seven and a half point underdogs to Dallas. Uh, I guess we'll start on the Redskins side. When you see a guy like McCoy come in here, he's obviously they're going to be the cheapest quarterback on the slate. They have the fewest points. He's shown that he's not really a totally competent NFL QB over the long term. Is he worth a flyer on a day where there just are very few options and a lot of them are kind of getting expensive? Maybe. Uh... Hopefully not. <laughs> this would be kind of where I would land here. He's cheap, but he's not free. And the performance against the Texans was not exactly too inspiring. I mean, you like to see that he ran the ball five times. Uh, that shows, you know, we've talked about that many times, but that certainly gives him a higher floor than perhaps, you know, some just random backup quarterback would be. But the 50% completion rate, turning 12 passes into just 54 yards. The Texans defense, you know, they're probably a little bit better than Dallas, but it's pretty close. I don't know. Again, if it enables me to play real players at every other single position, I guess I would consider it. But I also just think I can get, like the fact that Trubisky's on the slate at just 1400 more. Yeah, that's a decent rate to spend up at, but I'd be infinitely more confident in Trubisky in a great matchup rather than Colt in a decent matchup. Yeah, this is going to be a real boring game to watch. I don't think there's any other way around it. Redskins are already one of the most boring teams in football. That was when they had Alex Smith. I can't imagine it gets any better with McCoy. Uh, Jordan Reed rates as a cash game play. I will say he had his most targets last week, and only three of them came in the second half when McCoy took over, though one of them was the touchdown. So take that for what it's worth. The tight end position is so brutal on this three-game slate that it's basically Reed, Hooper, or a gaggle of complete and utter losers that you were just hoping catch a single ball. So I, it's probably most people are going to be um, deciding between Reed and Hooper. And I suspect they go a little more Reed just because of the pedigree. And I just wouldn't get too excited because, again, a lot of his targets came in the first half uh, when McCoy was not on the field. Dallas, though, I mean, Zeke is the highest on running back in the slate, right? I, there's no – is he – what do you think, 90% starting cash games on this on the six-team six slate? I don't see any other way around that. Running, he's so obviously better than – from a just from a usage standpoint, anybody else. Plus, he's got the seven and a half home favorite thing, to, uh, kind of pushing some wind in his sails. Yeah, that helps in the the fact that you have running back by committees on in the Atlanta New Orleans game. Uh, Detroit doesn't field the position currently in Chicago. Also, sort of just a bad running back by committee. I think Zeke is the only thing that even resembles safety on this slate at the running back spot. And the fact that you have some cheaper wide receivers to enable to pay up here, and potentially a cheap quarterback too, means that you're going to play him basically everywhere. He was, uh, was on the field for 56 snaps last game and touched the ball 31 times uh, in mm-hmm. in their last game in Week 11. He in that in that performance actually took him 
over Gurley for most touches per game on the season. Uh, yeah, well. Gurley, which is crazy considering the, the amount of usage that uh, just the Rams team in general got on, on the Monday night game. But Zeke is now the NFL's leading uh, carries plus targets guy. Uh, and doesn't really stand that it's going to change. He's totally script independent. And the big change for him, obviously, this year is that he's just receiving the ball a lot more. He's already eclipsed his targets by a lot from last year. I think he's at 18 more targets already this year through 10 games. He only played 10 games last season. So he's just he's just an every down back, obviously. And the the fact that he's such a part of the passing game now gives him such a high floor. What about guys like, I mean, Beasley? Amari Cooper was a guy we were pretty high on last week. He kind of dudded three for 36 on five targets. He, I think he's going to end up drawing some Josh Norman here. What are your thoughts on the, anything else in the passing game? Or plus Dak. I mean, is Dak, could Dak be like a cash game pivot? Yeah, so for starters with Cooper, definitely a little discouraging to watch him only get targeted five times in a good matchup with Atlanta when Dallas was incentivized to pass. But when things are chugging with Zeke, like they're just going to give the ball to him. So I think it's worth noting that that's in play in any given week right now. And Dak, I think he's another guy that slides into that playable but unexciting quarterback group. Uh, the price is right, certainly on FanDuel, 7,400, 500 cheaper than Trubisky. You know, the Redskins or the uh, Cowboys rather are going to get some points here. But I think with how heavily they're relying on Elliott, I'd actually argue that, you know, especially in the last two weeks, the fact that he had two rushing touchdowns, that's above expectation as far as I'm concerned with four touchdowns in the last five weeks too, when you have a running back like Elliott. So I think that uh, Dak, not a place I'd hope to land, but I might not cross him off if the lineups looked good and, you know, just Breeze and, uh, sorry, Breeze and Ryan made it. So I would have to make too big of a sacrifice elsewhere. Yeah, and obviously Dallas is the most expensive defense on the slate on FanDuel of 4,800. Could be worth pay. I don't usually like to advocate paying all the way up for defenses. They're 3,200 on DraftKings, 49 on FanDuel. Uh, it, but it's so clearly... Well, I, I take that back because the Bears are a little bit cheaper. So what are your thoughts here? At least we don't talk... To, we sometimes don't spend as I much wrote time. A, I, I wrote up the defense this week, buddy. You want the defensive breakdown? <laughs> is that what you want? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Are you want me to start the defensive breakdown segment? I just uh, have I a drop. I'm going to do your gobble, gobble sound again. Let me play the defensive drop noise for a second. <laughs> James's <laughs> defensive breakdown. Okay. Uh, so I recorded that earlier. I had a guy edit it for me. Um, the... Defensive breakdown breaks down as follows. Okay, you ready for the breakdown? Okay. <laughs> Just say it. People have already stopped listening. Let's go. Come on. No, they haven't. People are enjoying it. They like they <laughs> like the banter. They like the bit. Uh, so basically, it boils down to this: you can pay up at either with either Chicago or Dallas, and then there's these basically the pay up options, which are solid, but really are are costly in terms of uh, getting good plays elsewhere. Like you just wind up with, you know, some dude who gets two targets a game at tight end or something like that. Or you can get the Saints for free uh, going up against Atlanta. And that on paper, it sounds kind of bad, but the Vegas implied totals are pretty interesting here. So this week, well, because the Lions were the other potential team you could go after in terms of, uh, you know, just like a cheap defense, you basically throw the position away on. The Falcons are only projected for 23 and a quarter points this week in terms of Vegas implied totals. That's less than the Cowboys. That's less than the Bears. Like, the Falcons just aren't projected for all that many points. And we just saw the Saints come off a week where they crushed a better offense than the Eagles, too. So I think you could see just Saints being by far the chalk. They're also just so much less expensive. Like, I think it's a $1,500 savings if you go from these expensive defenses down to the Saints. So I suspect that'll be where the majority of the field goes. I think if you do pay up, you probably just go 
worse defense against a worse offense in the Dallas over Washington. But ultimately, I think that's probably pretty close, and you can make a, a decent case for either. I think the Bears probably have the most upside, though, because if they start just crushing Stafford, we've seen that that can all fall apart in an awful big hurry. Yeah, uh, I, that's a pretty good way to look at it, I think. We do have the Cowboys right now projected for more than the Bears. I, I get that the Bears are a better defense uh, on the season for sure, but it really is taking into mind that this matchup with this backup quarterback on a short week um, going on the road uh, to into Dallas with a very low implied total is what's kind of pushing a worse defense to a higher projection. So um, that that's kind of, if I had to choose between the two most expensive defenses, I'd probably just take the one against the team that's just dropping in of uh, some random guy basically off the street to, to be their starting quarterback as opposed to the one going on the road into the dome against Detroit. All right, let's finish it off with Atlanta and New Orleans. You mentioned New Orleans huge favorites here, 13-point home favorites coming off a complete dusting uh, of the Eagles where they were clearly running the game up uh, in, in terms of score late in the games. I'm not sure how teams are going to feel about that if they continue to do it. Vegas seems like they're going to have an opportunity to do it again as just huge home favorites. I meant, I've talked briefly about in our article about the problem, the problematic nature of the Kamara and Ingram thing right now. Kamara, they just so Kamara outsnapped him something like one and a half to one last week, but Ingram actually outcarried him. It just outtouched him in general, something like seventeen to fourteen. What are your? I mean, is it GPP only for these guys? I kind of our system's getting close to wanting to play Kamara one because he's a huge favorite, two because he's just awesome. Like the times he does touch the ball are just very, very high leverage, high quality touches. And it just seems so expensive for a guy that basically just touched the ball like less than 15 times last game. What's your thoughts on how we kind of attack this Saints running uh, situation? Yeah, I'd prefer to just avoid it, I think. I think there's, for such high-priced players, um, there there's just extreme volatility here. You know, Kamara last week, he winds up getting there on the receiving touchdown, but the guy had one target last week. And I get that they were blowing the Eagles out and... That's all well and good, but it didn't used to be that in game scripts like those that Kamara would only touch the ball 14 times or that he would be largely ineffective when he did touch the ball. Uh, we see, saw them lean more heavily on Ingram last week, but we, we've also seen weeks where Ingram only gets 16 touches. I mean, he's, Ingram still only got 16 touches, I guess would be a better way to put it, and he had 16 the week before that and 10 the week before that. So I think there's a lot of volatility at these higher price points. I think you can do it if you really want to. I think if you can avoid it, if you can just get safer plays for similar price points i think you probably want to go in that direction and uh like you know you could go just in the same game over to the wide receiver category i'd much rather play personally like julio jones at 8800 rather than kamara at 8900 i think that jones's role is a lot more secure and it'll be a lot tougher for him to completely kill you like in a kamara you know 11 carries three targets sort of game where it just doesn't come together even though granted Kamara absolutely destroyed the Falcons in their earlier meeting this season uh it was like fifth is that the game he had 15 catches <laughs> I think yeah it was. yeah well, that was without um, Ingram obviously but yeah they, they had but, he has the ability and, to do it. and Ingram was out during that game too but right. yeah I think I don't know it, this just seems like a stay away for me it's only a three-game slate if you have to do it you have to do it but I would rather not yeah, I mean Ingram has—he's another one. This offense is so good that he the 16 carries for him last week is good. that netted 103 yards and two touchdowns. The Saints' offense is like sort of like a borderline all-star team at this point between these two running. Any most teams would just would not kill to have two running backs like this, but definitely to have Kamara and then have Ingram be able to spell him. Ingram, for what it's worth, has over 20 fantasy points in each of the last two weeks. Has been you know 13, 16 touches in two consecutive weeks. So the touches are there. He's got he's the guy they're going to run the clock out with if they're up early and these guys are just both at peak price points. That's the same with Breeze too. Breeze, you know, our our projection on Breeze and Matt Ryan is pretty close. Breeze 
And for the season, they've been very similar in terms of overall fantasy points. I know that it kind of struck us as looking weird when they were this close, but does it make sense? I, it's, it's almost like the, the Saints redistribute their points in so many different ways where the Falcons just really been haven't been able to. Is there a case for just playing Matt Ryan like overbreeze straight up, judging how maybe the game might flow here? Yeah, I broke this down pretty extensively in the cash game article this week. I think it's comes down to a number of things. Um, so first of all, Breeze has just, regardless of all the tools that they have, Breeze has just been better over the course of the season. Both these guys have been good, but Breeze is still averaging a half a point more per game in spite of that. Um, but he's also more expensive, right? So he's for 400 more on FanDuel, 600 more on DraftKings. And that savings really matters, especially on DraftKings. That represents a 10% price difference. And that's obviously really, really significant. Um, New Orleans is uh, projected by Vegas to have many more points in this game. They're 13-point favorites. And obviously being the quarterback of a team that on paper just scores 13 more points is better. Like, there's no question about it. But you could also suggest that the game script, if the or the Saints are in the lead, should favor Ryan to pass more uh, rather than the Saints to lean on the run a little bit more. When it all comes out in the wash, I tend to trust, like our, our system has them Breeze right now being one point ahead of Ryan. That sounds about right to me in terms of raw point expectation. Again, Breeze just a half a point better on the season. And I think in that case, you can probably take the savings on Ryan. Both of them have an excellent matchup uh, with just Ryan being a little bit cheaper and probably a slightly greater incentive to pass. And again, it's, it might look weird. Maybe Breeze winds up being 20% more owned than Ryan. I'm not totally sure. But for me anyway, the price difference is enough that given that the guys are both pretty close, I, I could probably see myself leading Ryan. Yeah, I think I think the volume is going to be there. If you've got if you pushed up to around forty pass attempts, uh, that seems to make sense to me. The running back situation is kind of anyone's guess. They they've been losing in games, so they just haven't been able to run the ball at all. Tevin Coleman was very effective when he ran the ball last week, eight for fifty eight on thirty four snaps. Edo Smith had twenty snaps, and he caught the ball three times. Coleman, that is, uh, but they just haven't been able to. If they're playing catch up, it's just going to be tough. I'll tell you, when Tevin Coleman when he gets the ball, it's crazy. I feel like the weeks where like Devontae Freeman wasn't out and he was the only guy, he looked just kind of pedestrian. And then for some reason, sometimes he gets out in that open field. He looks like the fastest guy alive. And they just, they just can't seem to get on the ball enough. I don't know. Um, obviously Julio Jones is a top 10 target here. I think Michael Thomas, even with the down week, I, I, your thoughts here about Michael Thomas versus Julio Jones. Is it clear to you that Jones is just the guy to go to? Um, Thomas, the, the, the week from last week kind of scare you with the emergence of Traycon Smith in that passing game. These are the two, these are two top tier wide receiver options to, to choose from. Do you have a, a leaning one way or the other before we get out of here? Yeah, so this is another one I looked at really extensively, and it was so much closer than I originally I thought it would be when I first started looking. And so why don't I just go down, do the tail of the tape here, Doug, break it down for you piece by piece. So on paper, this is like a really interesting, just straight up challenge play. Like you can pick between either Michael Thomas or Julio Jones, 8,800 on FanDuel. You just pick who's better and you get to play one. And that can be both exciting, but also terrifying <laughs> because on the season, these guys have brought really different things to the table. Uh, so on one hand, you have Jones, and he's been targeted 20 more times than Michael Thomas over the course of the season. And that sounds great, right? So if two guys are the same, and one guy's been targeted 20 more times, you just play him, right? Well, Thomas has actually nine more receptions than Julio Jones in spite of being targeted 20 fewer times. And this is the fundamental question of this matchup for me, because yeah, Thomas's targets come and go, and it's certainly not very encouraging that he's gone from 15 targets to eight to four in the last three weeks. Like you hate to see it on an almost $9,000 player, but the guy's converting 90% of his targets into catches over the course of a season, nine, zero percent. 
That means when they decide to throw to him, nine out of ten times he catches the ball. You've just never seen anything like it. So either the Saints and Drew Brees in particular are so good at decision making that they just only throw it to Thomas. And obviously Thomas needs to be incredible at catching the ball too uh, for that to be sustainable. Or maybe, and what I probably think, unfortunately, is that Thomas is probably running a little bit hot in that conversion. And I don't know. This is just something I've never seen before. So maybe 82 targets or whatever is enough to say that this is the true talent conversion rate between Thomas and Breeze right now. I tend to think that's a little on the high side. And given that Julio Jones's targets are just so much steadier than Thomas's, I mean, the fact that Thomas can sprinkle in a four target week when Jones's lowest target on the week or on the season, well, it's six, but outside of that, he has a nine target week. That's his second lowest. Thomas has a four. He's got a six, another four, a five. Like this just can't happen to Michael Thomas. And so I don't know. I I just feel like Jones has the higher floor. I think maybe people will think that winds up being nuts. I also think, though, that the game script will affect Thomas a lot more than Breeze because if the Saints get up by a lot, like we saw last week with Thomas, he's got to be the first guy on the chopping block rather than Kamara or Ingram or maybe even Traquan Smith. So really long answer to a short question, Doug, but uh, it's close, and I lean Jones here. Yeah, the conversion rate's crazy. Like, even last week, four catches on four targets, 92 yards and a touchdown. I How about the five... previous week? Eight yards, eight, or eight targets, eight catches. Like, it's it's truly nuts. There, I, we talked about it uh, briefly yesterday on the recap, but the Saints are just one of those teams that are just so ultra-efficient. They're just essentially an all-star team that they can just their, – their, their touches and their looks are different than other teams just because they're just going to get you into optimal situations each time. And sometimes yeah. it's going to be the week where they get Traquan Smith into a matchup they like, and they're just going to feed him – and he just goes completely nuts. I suspect he's a pretty much chalk play because the price did not come up commiserate with if anywhere close. Like he can see seven targets and probably still be a play at these yeah. prices just be the, by the nature of the Saints' uh, passing attack. All right, we're going to get out of here. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Enjoy the games. We'll be back again Friday talking game-by-game breakdown for the main slate. But give us that gobble sound. <laughs>